Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. This is Brett Amron. And I'm Jeff Bast, and this is The Practice Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Mr. David Lorenzo. Dave Lorenzo is a best-selling author, a business strategy consultant, and a sales and revenue growth expert. He specializes in helping professionals grow revenue using relationship-based consultative sales techniques. He also works with owners of service businesses like law firms, for example, to increase their revenue and client lifetime value. He has built five successful businesses during the past 25 years. He's worked as a speaker and a consultant with numerous Fortune 500 companies, including Pfizer, Marriott, Textron, IBM, and he is a friend of the Practice Podcast. We welcome Dave Lorenzo. Welcome, Dave. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. You forgot on there, he is the podcaster. Yeah, he also has a very successful podcast. Very successful podcast. Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Just give the audience your background. Sure. Back in 2007, I started working almost exclusively with lawyers. And then over the next 13 years, I branched out into other professional service businesses. And really, my tagline is my mission, and that's to help people who do what you guys do, make a great living and live a great life. It's to help people make more money while reducing their labor intensity. We do that by teaching them how to grow their business through relationships, teaching them to streamline their operations, and really just use leverage any way they can so that you can get home on time for dinner. So that's what I do. My goal, my mission, my purpose is to every year help 10,000 new professional service providers. And as you mentioned, I do a podcast. I also do a couple of YouTube videos every day, and I try to reach as many professionals as I can to help them either start, grow, or advance their practice in a way that allows them to do what they want with their time. That's really what true wealth is. It's being able to use your time as you see fit. So my goal is to help people just like you guys spend more time doing what you want to do, and your business is the vehicle to do that. Your practice is the vehicle to do that. And you've also written several books? Three. Yeah, three three books. The last one came out in 2018, The 60-Second Sale. It's a great book, if I do say so myself. It's a guide to relationship-based business development, but it also approaches it from the standpoint of lifetime value of relationships with clients and with people who are evangelists, people who refer you business. I would say that it's a very good read and there's some really good tips that come and out. It's a of great it. gift. I've gifted it to other lawyers as well. Oh, perfect. So thanks. I appreciate there you that. Go. We're helping your sales, Dave. That's great. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. All right. We can end the podcast <laughs> now. Link in the description. <laughs> We're no. done. <laughs> so marketing and networking and business development, obviously all of those sort of buzzwords, right? I mean, that's your thing and that's what you're trying to help, I think, lawyers and professionals achieve in order to do what you said, which is work less, but make more, right? Right. Live that life. So we'd like to get from you some nuggets that we can use or our listeners can use. So what's the first thing you would recommend either a budding lawyer, a budding networker who wants to get out there, who's not really good at it? Mm. What can they do to get started in order to create those relationships? Yeah. So the thing I tell young lawyers all the time is forget about trying to source business for you and for what you do. 
So we're here at Bast Amron, and if a lawyer comes into Bast Amron, then that lawyer is working with you, Brett, and they're doing litigation. I would tell them, look, I don't want you to go out and source litigation work. What I would prefer is you go out and work on trying to source bankruptcy work. Because if you look at professional services and if you look at the practice of law, it is different from every other entrepreneurial venture in that if I bought a 7-Eleven and it was open 24 hours, I wouldn't work the deli counter at that 7-Eleven 24 hours. I'm the owner of the business. So if you're a young lawyer, The worst thing we can teach a young lawyer is to source business for themselves because what happens? They source the business, they work on the business, and then they get peaks and valleys. The next thing they know, the matter that they're working on comes to a conclusion and they got to go out and source more business. If that lawyer can consistently source work for other people, preferably inside their firm, they can continue to do that. And like you guys, they'd get paid because they're doing that and they would be phenomenally better served for the rest of their career because they know how to create relationships not based on their own personal production. Now, when we fast forward to the place where both of you are, you're really successful and now you're the leaders of a law firm, right? Your primary responsibilities are to manage the firm to the highest level of profitability possible And to make sure that you can keep the lights on to make sure there's always business coming in the door. You try to balance that, you Brett, with litigation and you Jeff with litigation, but a lot of the time with bankruptcy work. And the boat gets swamped when you get a big case, when you get a big matter. So the focus on management sometimes can go on the back burner. The focus on business development can go on the back burner. If we teach these young lawyers how to develop business for other practice areas right from the beginning, I think we're going to be better off. So to your point, what's the first thing I would teach a young lawyer? Look, if you're in a firm that has multiple practice areas, pick a practice area other than your own. So your litigator, pick trust and estates or pick transactional work or pick intellectual property Mm -hmm. and source business for those practice areas first and foremost. And then the litigation work is going to come to you naturally as you grow and expand your circle of influence. Right. That's an interesting perspective. And I agree that sourcing practices other than your own may be successful. But to a young lawyer listening, how do they take that and translate that to action? So when you say source business, I don't think a lot of young lawyers know what that means to source business. How do they go out and start sourcing business? So these things take time. And I agree with you if they have the luxury of pitching one type of business versus another, wonderful. Mm-hmm. But I don't think a lot of them have that luxury. They don't have clients coming through the door that they're saying, oh, I'm going to choose this client over that client. So how do they really start well, a business development? The premise of your question, I think, creates a false expectation. Mm-hmm. Nobody's pitching business. Right. Because that's not what we do wrong in professional word, right. services, pitching, right? What word. we do in professional services is we create, establish, and maintain relationships, and then we help people solve problems in exchange for financial compensation. So if I'm a young lawyer, what I'm doing right now, let's say I graduated from law school and I'm a third year and I got hired here at Bast Amron, I make sure that I know everyone's contact information from law school, everybody that I've come in contact with over the last two years. And I put it on an Excel spreadsheet or I create a constant contact account or a MailChimp account. And I immediately make sure that I'm keeping in touch with them. And what do I do when I keep in touch with them? Once a week, I write an email. Maybe I create my own website or blog or I post the email content on the firm's website or blog. And I talk about things that are relevant to me 
and that I think would be relevant to my prospective clients. Right. And if I don't know what to talk about, you know what I do? I go to my friends, my relatives, my neighbors who could potentially be my clients, and I ask them, hey, give me two or three things that you sit around in your boardroom in your office and talk about, or give me two or three things that you and your management team are most concerned about. Right. And when those people bring those topics up, if I don't know anything about them, that's a huge opportunity for me to delve into them, to research them, to come to Jeff or to come to Brett and go, hey, I was talking to my neighbor and I asked him what he's concerned about. And he said he's concerned about loans that are secured with a personal guarantee. I know a little bit about that, but give me a story that you could tell a client like that about how somebody got in trouble when they personally guaranteed a loan. And then Jeff's going to tell him a story and that person then can go and relate that story Mm. in a blog post. Or if they don't have time to do a blog post, turn your phone around, make a quick video and use the video, post the video up there. So the idea is frequency of communication with everyone you know, because you'd be amazed at how, and you guys can speak to this, how the people you graduated from law school with throughout the course of their career are going to become more and more successful and they're going to send you work but they only will send you work if they remember who the heck you are. Right, who you are and what you do, right? Yeah, so, so step one is to right. stay in touch with everybody right. you know. Step two is to be intellectually curious and start asking people questions. I went to a birthday party last night. One of my kids' friend was having a birthday party and I'm hanging out there and I know one of the dads and one of the dads is a chief in the Palm Beach County Fire Department. So the first thing I asked him is, hey, tell me what you're seeing at work. Are you seeing anything different post-pandemic than you were seeing during the pandemic? Mm -hmm. And we started having a conversation. And the more we got into it, the more interested I was in what he did. We finished our 20-minute conversation. He said, in the last 20 minutes, you asked me more about my job than my wife has in 20 (laughs) years of marriage. That's the thing. Be careful. You might have given away a lot of his credentials there in the description. Nah, nobody's going to be able to identify him. Anyway, I could probably give you his name and he'd be okay. The bottom line is if you're intellectually curious and you get into conversations with people, you have enough content where it either just writes itself or you can make the videos on your own. So you're a new lawyer, create a database, start a weekly email newsletter. I hate using the term newsletter, but a weekly email, black letters on a white page. If you want to do videos instead, do a video, but do a video on a topic that people are talking about. And one out of every four weeks or two out of every four weeks, it doesn't have to be about the practice of law. Right. It can be about business. And you can be about- a thought leader. So basically, right. you want to be a thought leader, yeah. right? right? And be looked at as a thought leader and someone who's going to send good content. Yeah. So that requires some time on your part as a lawyer, not actually working on client work or even management in that respect, if that's what you do as well. But to actually spend some time and like prepare the email, actually maybe do a little research on the topic that you're going to write about. Right, so that you can be perceived as and put yourself out there as a thought leader in this area. Sure. There is a shortcut. So if you're in a business-to-business practice and you're really pressed for time, go by the Wall Street Journal, by the print version of the Wall Street Journal. On the left-hand side of the front page, there's this column that has been there since the beginning of time, and it's all the top stories. Pick a story that interests you from that part of the Wall Street Journal, read that one story, and then give us your opinion on what you read. That's a shortcut. Now, I I don't recommend you do that every week, but if you're pressed for time, you want to do that once a month, that's no problem. Now, you want to take it a step further, ask somebody that works in that field a question about what you read in the Wall Street Journal and tell me about that, write about that. That's what's interesting. So here's what we're really doing, all right? 
We're not writing about us. Mm-mm. We're entering a conversation that's going on in the mind of the other person. Right. right. You're meeting right. the right. audience where they are. Yeah. Right. 100%. Right. That's and, the key to success. And to your point about the story with the chief, you ask about them. Right. You don't right. talk about yourself. No. You ask about them. Right. Right. And to me, the next step in that process with sending out the emails in the database is forging relationships. And it's more of a marathon than a sprint. No? Sure. Yeah. And again, you can jumpstart that by putting a little money in the person's pocket. So if I wanted to start a relationship with someone Not else, literally putting Well, money so let me, there is a literal component to that. But yeah. to start off, refer them a piece of business. Right. Hey, Brett, who's your ideal client? You tell me who your ideal client is. I go out and find an ideal client and bring them to you. Yep. You're going to sit up and take notice. Now, let's say you wanted to be the lawyer for all landscapers, Right. You better have a really good landscaper who's cutting your grass at your house. And then when that guy comes over, you better quiz him. Spend 15 minutes quizzing him while he's trimming the hedges every week, right? And people say to me, oh, yeah, Dave, that's a really pedestrian example. Okay, so you tell me that you're a lawyer and you want to do work with high net worth individuals. How many high net worth individuals you know? You know what I get when I ask that question? Crickets, Mm -hmm. right? You got to go spend time at a country club. Hang out at the bar, start talking to people, find out what problems they have, right? Mm -hmm. Go play golf with some people who are doing well in life and see what questions they ask each other. See what things they're talking about. What are their biggest concerns? Find out what they read to stay up on business in their world, right? So you have to immerse yourself in the world of your client. And doing that is a conscious choice that you make. Right? What do most professionals do? We walk around and we look up at the sky waiting for the bag of cash to fall out and hit us in the head. Well, you got to be intentional about this. So figure out who you want your clients to be if you don't have clients already, and then go spend time in that world. You can't be a construction lawyer and have never visited a construction site. It just doesn't work. Right. And not for the sole purpose of, let me see if I can go get a matter today. Like, I'm going to go out there today. I'm going to talk with the head of a construction company, and boy, I better come back with a matter. No, you want to come back with information that will ultimately lead to the path of getting business. Start with not looking foolish when you talk to people in that industry, right? Right. So I'm going to go to a construction site. I'm going to hang out there so I can figure out how they speak and I can figure out what their biggest concerns are so that when I have a conversation with that person, I don't ask a question that makes me look like an idiot, right? right? You need to know what rebar is. You need to be able to talk about why people are concerned about the price of cement going up or why people are concerned about the cost of copper, even though they own a contracting business, right? You need to be able to understand the basic issues of the business in order to speak their language. Nobody's going to meet you where you are. You have to go to where they are. I think that's the point that you made initially. That's a huge point that most people don't get. Look, I think you've made a lot of great points here. One of this, and I don't want to lose this one. One is just the idea of a contacts database, because I think that one is right off the bat lost by most people. They don't keep in contact with their law school classmates or whoever it is. It's so much easier now than, you know, literally when I was in law school, we had a paper, Facebook. It was a book of pictures of people. It was not that easy to maintain that kind of database, but a lot of people lose sight of that. And when you say send out a weekly email or newsletter, I think a lot of people right off the bat, when you say weekly, you lost them already. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be weekly. It should be regular. It should be as often as you can do it. And you don't have to touch every single one of them. And if you don't have something to write, then go to that database and reach out to a few of them. Send them an email, invite them to lunch, have coffee, 
It's just about maintaining contacts. If you can do it on a more wide scale, I think that's better. And it doesn't have to be email. We have social media. It could be Instagram. It could be Facebook. Whatever your mode is, stay in contact with your people. And most importantly, stay front of mind. Because when somebody needs a lawyer, they're going through their head, who's a lawyer I know? And memories are short. So it's who's the last lawyer I thought of or who's the last lawyer and I What do people with? think all lawyers do? People think all lawyers are like on law and order, right? You guys go to court every day. You bitch and moan about the judge. And then you come back to the office and you guys drink scotch. I've been in this office a lot of times. I've never seen you guys drink scotch right, here. Right. But it's that's only, what they tequila, think every yes, yes, yes. Scotch, tequila, yeah. right. And it's only when you're not here. Right. That's what people do. think all lawyers yeah. do. So yeah. I want to really highlight something, though, that is critically important. And this is something that is a source of frustration for me. When lawyers practice law, most good lawyers don't take shortcuts. Right. When you're planning to take a depot, mm-hmm. right, when you're planning to take a deposition, I know you guys, you guys prepare thoroughly. And there are some questions that you prepare and you don't ask them because you've gone down a different road and it turns out those aren't relevant. But that doesn't mean that the work you did in preparing right. was wasted. Yeah, right. Sure. But when it comes to marketing, we tell people, hey, listen, what Jeff just said, oh, you don't have to do weekly. You know, it doesn't have to be an email. It could be social media. Well, no, that's the same thing as, listen, I'll think of the questions on the fly for the depot. No, frequency of communication builds trust. Every week that you're not in touch with someone, you're losing some trust with that person. So from the years that I've been doing this, I would tell you that if you did a daily email, you probably would still miss out on opportunities. Daily is not practical. Weekly is the most practical. And when people say to me, oh, you know, Dave, I can't do daily. I want to do weekly. Well, how would you be with only getting one fourth of the clients? Do you want all the clients or do you want 25% of the clients? I, Dave, listen, you're the expert here. And you've been- No, no, but I'm saying this. I'm not picking on you specifically. I'm saying this because I hear this from everyone. I don't disagree with you, but I want people to understand that it's not weekly or not at all. No, no, it's not, it's not all. A lot of people not, feel like, and this it's is overwhelming. This, right, right. I can't do right. weekly. And then they just don't do anything. Right, right. So I agree. Bring weekly it back. Let's ideal. bring it back to an analogy that you guys are more familiar with on an intimate basis than me. <laughs> and that's exactly. working out, okay. right? That's exercise. That's right. fitness, right? right? If I just go for a six mile walk once a week, it's certainly better than doing nothing. Right. But the incremental gain I'm going to see from that six mile walk once a week, I mean, I'll have gains in my mental health. That's good time for me to get my thoughts straight. It's good time for me to decompress and de-stress. But the physical benefits of that, minimal, right? Right. If I increase that frequency then to three days a week, maybe I get some benefit in muscle tone. Maybe I get some circulatory benefit, but cardiovascularly, probably still not going to get a lot out of it. Then if I increase not only the frequency to five days a week, but also I increase the intensity. And now I'm walking and I'm doing a mile in 13 minutes. All of a sudden, the benefits exponentially increase. That's exactly the point I'm trying to make here. Agreed. No, I agree with that entirely. And I would just, the counter to that, I would say, it's really not a counter. It's the flip side of that is, and Brett and I have talked about this in the same context, with diet or exercise or whatever it is that I always tell people, you can't be too rigid with yourself. Starts if you starts, yeah. like I've had people, you know, they know our diet. They say, "Oh, I stopped eating meat, but I really have a hard time." I'm like, listen, 
be flexible with yourself. If you eat a piece of meat, if you want to try a vegetarian diet and you end up eating a piece of steak, don't go, oh, that's it. It's forever. And I'm back to square one in terms of my diet. Cause that's how most people they are. If they have an exercise routine where they're trying to run three days a week mm -hmm. and they miss a day, usually that missed day causes them to just stop running entirely. Sure. And it's give yourself flexibility. So if you sure. can't do a weekly, don't just say, all right, I can't do this. I start. shouldn't do more. If you can't do weekly right. to start. Get exactly. your, I'm on board start, with that. Start, yeah. just that. start. Sure. Don't do nothing. Right. Do something right. and then get yourself into a routine. Right. right. No, no, I'm right. on board I mean, with that. 100%. That, right. Absolutely. Honestly, that's how we've talked about this, how I started, I don't know, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. right? Like doing exercise was like just starting. Wait, just you do exercise? Do no, I don't <laughs> at all. Nelson is the runner. So let's get back to marketing and not exercise, I guess. <laughs> the analogy carries through. No, it, it does. Yeah. It no, carries right, through right. with yeah. a lot of things, sure. right? And I think to hit a point that you made, which I love, which is lawyers tend to focus on the client matters and put all our time into that, which is super important and it needs to be. And we over-prepare right? For whatever it is we're going to do, whether it's a meeting, an email, a letter, whatever it is, we're going to over-prepare. But when it comes to the other things, it's like, yeah, I'll just kind of do the bare minimum to get it done. I'm good on my feet. I'm I can, good. You know, I, I can go in front of this group and do a 10-minute presentation. Right. I'm really good on my feet. How many times have you seen that, right? Oh, it's your turn to do your 10-minute presentation at right. our group meeting in two weeks. Oh, that's great. You're driving in the car and you're thinking to yourself, what am I going to talk about? Well, 10 minutes isn't a lot of time. I'm good on my feet. I'll be fine. And then you complain to the person who runs the meeting. I don't get any business from this group. Well, yeah, because well, you spend 10 right. minutes talking about your cat. Nobody knows what the hell you do. Well, <laughs> and to bring it back to the people that are going to reach out to you, if you're periodically reaching out to your base, or whether you're speaking, whether you're emailing, whatever it is, you have to be perceived as a thought leader, as somebody who, hey, when that matter comes up, you know what? Jeff Bast is somebody that I get this stuff from and boy, he really knows what he's talking about. I'm going to reach out to him or I'm going to send the client to him, right? I mean, that's kind of what you're trying to build over time. Sure. And yeah. it takes, you, you want to be known as an expert in something. Right. And everybody has depth of knowledge in some area. So let's pivot here for a quick sec and let me talk about it becomes easier to create content when you're passionate about the content you create. So if you don't want to write about the practice of law every mm -hmm. week, write about the practice of law once a month. And then if you're into brewing your own beer, write about brewing your own beer the other three weeks. Right. The habit of getting started with frequency of communication is critically important. We have a lot of mutual friends who are into wine, but we have one mutual friend who's really into wine. If that person wrote a wine email every week and then at the bottom just reminded people he was a lawyer... That would work. That would work very nicely. I remember when I was starting out creating my own firm, someone had mentioned to me, there's two sort of theories, right? Primacy and recency. I mm -hmm. know you yeah. probably pitched this a lot, well, there's right? There's three, primacy, recency, and frequency. Right. Yes. And so can you tell our listeners sort of what those three things mean? Sure. Yeah. It's the first thing you hear, the last thing you hear, and mm -hmm. the thing you hear most often. Right. Right. And you guys know, because you're litigators, because you're trial lawyers, that when you're making a case to the court or you're making a case to a jury or a panel that you want to make a really good impression in the very beginning and then you want to leave them, you want them or that person, the judge, to take away from the last thing you say the most important thing, the most yeah. persuasive yep. point, right? Yep. Yep. So the first thing people hear is really important because that determines whether or not they keep listening. 
the last thing they hear is what they're going to take away, is what they're going to remember. Mm-hmm. But frequency of communication is the whole ball game when it comes to building a relationship, right? So we think that people are going to think we're lunatics if we're repetitive. But most of the time, people are not listening to what we're saying. Right. And they're definitely not thinking about what we just told them. So in order to penetrate that, there's David Ogilvy, one of the gurus of advertising, said that he had to run an ad and people had to see the ad 19 times before it made an impression on them. Yeah. And look, we're not going to do that. But when I tell people about direct mail campaigns or when I talk to people about emailing for events with a call to action, hey, register for this event, the minimum that we advise them to use is a three-step sequence because we want to get that message in front of them three different times. But what I do in my business is I do six, eight, nine, 12 step sequences because I know that I'm only getting 10% of the audience each time. And Mm -hmm. that 10%, they're not going to remember what I told them. So I don't worry about people saying, why is Lorenzo repeating himself? Why he seems like a babbling lunatic. Because nobody's paying attention. Right. You know, it well, takes me six that times. remembers that was paying attention. Right. Yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, the person that calls me up and says, why do you keep repeating right. this? I say, thank, thank you for you listening. For listening. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, right. Well, it's also about, yeah. I said this before, when you go to these conferences, maybe educational conferences, sometimes you'll hear something that you've heard before, but you hear it either in a different way, said at a different time, or me, I, as the listener, I'm in a different place. You know, it's like you were talking about the advertisements. How many advertisements for whatever, a car, have you heard that you don't really hear until you're looking for a car? If you're looking for a car, now all of a sudden car advertisements are relevant to you. Right. But you've heard them a thousand times or insurance. You know, how many insurance ads have we had? They're irrelevant until I'm in a place where I'm looking for that. And so it's again, circling back to meeting the listener where they are. I think it's a Mandarin proverb and it goes something along the lines of when the student is ready, the instructor will appear. That's what good marketing is all about. Good marketing is all about making sure the message is out there and making sure that it's in the path of your ideal client. And eventually that ideal client is going to stop going around it, stepping over it, and they're going to run face first right into it, right? Right. When do you buy life insurance? You buy life insurance when you have a life event, right? You buy life insurance when you have a baby, or you buy life insurance when you get married, or you buy life insurance when circumstances change and you go into a partnership and you want to make sure that the business will be able to carry on without you. Before those life events, you don't even give a thought to life insurance. It's the furthest thing from your mind. It's totally irrelevant to you. And that's the point. If people weren't in your life talking about life insurance, when you got ready to have a baby, you'd be like, oh man, what happens if I die? Geez, I guess I better do something about this. Who do I know? The life insurance person is going to be glad he sent you an email every week for three years before that, because then you're going to go, oh, this guy, and you pick up the phone and call him. Right. So the first person you think of when an issue comes up, the most recent contact, and there's the frequency Mm -hmm. is in there, right? Yeah. That's the point. We don't know when we're marketing, we don't know what that moment is when we're going to be able to take advantage of recency because we're not involved in the thousand people's lives that are a part of our list. No idea. And that's why the frequency comes into play. Well, and the second aspect of that, Brett, is that frequency of communication builds trust. So think about somebody that you didn't like. 
right? And then all of a sudden, what happens? They move in in the office next to you, or they move into your neighborhood. Now you see them in the supermarket and you have to stop and chat and you're just being cordial. And then you're like, you know what? That person just made a good point. They're actually not that bad. And then you see them again and you're like, maybe I misunderstood this person a little bit, or you know what? He's got a little bit of an edge, but really underneath, he's probably a pretty good guy. Mm-hmm. Frequency reveals that to you, right? Right. So that's why frequency is so important. Frequency right. of communication builds trust. Right. And trust is such an important part of relationships and relationships are the key to what we're that's trying it. to accomplish. It's all ballgame tires. You have to know, like, and trust the people that you're doing business with, especially in your business. Yeah. People come to you, the two of you and your firm, most of the time in their darkest hour. And you're their hope for getting through this financially and emotionally intact, right? But they're not going to work with someone who everybody says is good, but who they perceive to be a jerk or who they don't feel like they can trust with their most intimate financial details, right? right? Yeah. I mean, people are vulnerable when they come to lawyers normally, but when they come to a lawyer because their creditors are beating down their door or somebody served them with a lawsuit and they have no idea what they're going to do. They're putting their business in your hands. So in your practice, trust is everything. In trust and estates, trust is in the name of the trust and estates practice. In family law, you may start out, you may start out going to a family law attorney, hoping that they rip your spouse's throat out. But in the end, their job is to get you through that process with as good a financial position, with as good a mental and emotional state as they possibly can. And the foundation of that is trust. Yeah. So loved hearing all that stuff from you and I never gets tired. So the frequency mm-hmm. of hearing that stuff from you as an expert in that area is fantastic. And I know our listeners are better for it. If we can move briefly to sort of where you see things, some changes you've seen post-pandemic, mm-hmm. And where you see it going in terms of networking and business development before we have to let you go. Okay. So post-pandemic, if the pandemic has taught us anything at all, I would counsel everyone listening, spend less time networking. There's no leverage in networking. I think if you want to network, you better be networking with people who know a lot of people or with people who can do big business with you. So any networking you do, I would make it more intimate. I would make it smaller groups. I would never, ever again go to a Chamber of Commerce meeting. I would never again invest time going to an event hoping that there could be some outcome where you could meet somebody who could change everything for you. Where I would spend my time is everyone is shifted to media consumption on their phones. Everyone is shifted to media consumption on devices, whether it's inside their home or outside their home. So what I would do right now is you could be on the cutting edge tomorrow doing things like this, podcasts, Mm -hmm. doing video, and you don't have to be a full-blown cinematographer. You can shoot video on your phone. You can upload it to YouTube and send it out to everyone on your list. You can do video. This is where social media comes in, right? I wouldn't invest any time in TikTok just yet, but I would definitely be doing videos on YouTube. And here's how I would do them. I would make a list of the 100 questions that people ask me most often then I would punch those questions into Google and see which questions have the biggest results. And I would pick the first 10 or 20 and I would make videos with the title of those questions. So what do I do if somebody serves me with a lawsuit? Answer that question on a video. The title of your video is what do I do if someone serves me with a lawsuit? Now, why are you doing that? That's what people are going to be searching for. So you want to be a thought leader. People are searching for that question 
your video is going to come up through Google. Your video is going to come up on YouTube. It's the second most used search engine on planet Earth now is YouTube. So I thought it was the first. Google first. is one. YouTube is number two. Anyway, sorry. And I'm telling you right now that people will watch a five-minute video, a 10-minute video, if it's relevant to something that they're experiencing. Right, at right? that moment. Right, yeah. Right, During right, the right. pandemic, my family got a couple of dogs. I can't tell you how many dog training videos I've watched. I can't tell you how many videos I've watched about helping dogs who are sick or how to get a dog to sit on command. What's how to get amazing a dog to is stay. how there is a video for everything. For, for everything. somebody teaching you to do whatever it is. I play a little bit of guitar. And so if there's a song I want to play, I always look and I'm always surprised. I'm like, God, there's somebody teaching this song too. Wow. You know, yeah. It's if amazing. You, no matter you, what you want to do. If you always... have a TV and you're like, hey, I need to program something or see if I can add an app to this smart TV and you Google it, there's yeah. probably a dozen videos it's of people showing really you how to amazing. do that for your specific model of TV. My garbage disposal <laughs> broke in the middle of the pandemic. Right. And I wasn't having somebody come over to fix it. But every day, when my son's job is to do the dishes, every day my son was complaining like crazy. Yeah, when are we going to get this thing fixed? The sink doesn't drain right, blah, blah, blah. So finally, I go on YouTube. I watch the video. I take the thing apart. I'm fast forwarding. And that's what (laughs) we do now. And people are doing that with every type of professional service. So the reason this is such a big opportunity now is because consumption of video online went through the roof during the pandemic. And it hasn't slowed down. We're recording this now where I'm going to make a prediction and say we're kind of at the tail end of the pandemic. We're going to be at the tail end probably for another six months. But video consumption has stayed remarkably high. And people are using video for everything. I'm driving here today and I'm at a red light looking at somebody watching a video. Now, I don't know if it was Instagram or YouTube. They're watching a video on their phone at the red light and they're holding their phone up. And I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) So I'm telling you, that is one of the first things I would do. The second thing I would do post-pandemic world from a business development perspective Mm -hmm. is it's never been more valuable to spend time with people in person. And I know I just said, I don't want you to do networking. What I don't want you to do is I don't want you to do these prescribed networking events, but I want you to, if you're comfortable, get on a plane and visit your best client and go there with no agenda. Because we have a window of opportunity probably for the next 12 months where people crave that intimacy that comes with a one-on-one and in-person experience. So spend a day, you know, if your best client is in New York, go to New York, make three or four appointments with people you went to law school with and go see your best client. And you'll be amazed at what that does to your relationship because the fact that you would you know, get on a plane and go there and take the time just to see how they're doing, it means everything to them. We have an expression where we've said a number of times, and I know I've talked to you guys about this, always go to the funeral, right? Because when you're with somebody during a time when they're particularly vulnerable, they remember that. Well, this is a time when people are hesitant, they're reluctant to go anywhere, to connect with anyone in person. So if you go somewhere, even if it's just driving across town, to visit with somebody in their office or to have coffee with them, that in-person connection makes a big, big difference to people right now. Because we're looking at screens all day long and people are sick of looking at screens. I mean, they'll do it rather than go to an office Mm -hmm. for a mundane work function, but that in-person connection is great. And here's the other thing. If you can help people advance and achieve their goals during this time, 
it's like a force multiplier. And the reason is because we're all thinking about what we're going to do and how our business is going to emerge from the pandemic. And as we get into the fall of 2021, the economy is going to be robust and it's going to be roaring. If you go to somebody and you say, hey, there are three people I think you should meet. I want to introduce them to you. What's the best way for me to do that? You want me to set something up, set up a lunch? When people see that you have that external orientation, that you're interested in helping them, that's the best use. Take your old networking time. Do that instead. Use that from a one-on-one perspective. But I don't want people to lose sight of the fact that ultimately we need to employ leverage as much as we can. So for you one-on-one people, everybody who tells me, hey, I'm better in a one-on-one environment, do your one-on-one stuff, but go in heavy. Go in with something of value to offer. Don't go in there and be like, so... What and, are we doing? Hand them a brochure and, and a why, business card. Oh yeah. Just wanted to follow up on one thing. Why the sort of the shift of don't go to chamber of commerce meetings? And I know you just sort of pick that, but mm-hmm. like don't go to these mass meetings or these mass conferences or focus on smaller groups. Why the shift? I think people don't know how to leverage those situations appropriately and they take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So if it takes you 15 minutes to get to the event and then 15 minutes to get back to the office or home from the event and then an hour and a half at the event, are you going to get 50 leads from that three-hour investment? No. If you spent that three hours researching a speaking engagement, preparing the speech, and then delivering the speech, you'd at least get 50 leads out of it. So my point about that is all about leverage and your time. If you've got no money and you only have time, then yeah, join a BNI group or go to a chamber of commerce meeting. But at some point, you're going to have to employ leverage because you're going to be so busy that you only have 10 hours a week or five hours a week to spend on business development. That's the biggest challenge that we see is lawyers or professionals in other disciplines, they become successful and they think to themselves, well, all I got to do now is just keep this momentum up by being a good lawyer. But that's not the case. You need to continue to be out there and continue to grow and continue to be on the edge Mm -hmm. of teaching people new things in mass so that you can grow your business to the size you want. Now, listen, if you're happy with a business that's at a certain size and you're at that certain size and you're in maintenance mode, that's fine. But most of the people who are listening to this are ambitious and they want to continue to grow. So leverage is the key to doing that. versus maintenance. Yeah. 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 Great stuff, man. Thanks. Always unconventional. Will you agree to come back? Sure. Because I'm sure our listeners are going to want more. Sure. Tomorrow? So, no. Just <laughs> so we mentioned, obviously, you have a podcast. You have, you're on LinkedIn. Tell our listeners where they can find you. The best thing you can do is go to YouTube and just put in Dave Lorenzo, D-A-V-E-L-O-R-E-N-Z-O. There's 637 videos up there. There's two new ones going up today. There'll be two this weekend and there'll be two every day next week. Those videos are in every category from law firm marketing to cash flow to how to manage a professional practice to how to get business. I make those videos based on questions people ask me and I just respond to them on video and I really love doing it. So if you watch any of those videos down in the comments, I read every single comment down in the comments, ask a question. And the next thing you know, I'll be making a video on that topic and like them. Well, like, share, you know, do subscribe, whatever, whatever they say. Subscribe. Smash the like, yeah, smash the like button. Subscribe yeah. and share it with your friends. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Dave, thank you very much for being here. Yes, thank you, and thank you as always to Nelson. Nelson, our man. Thanks, Nelson. 
For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.com. 